0: The following episode is a special edition of the Tri-State Sports Beat, brought to you by Southside Productions. Welcome to a new episode of the Tri-State Sports Beat, everybody. Hope everyone's having a good Monday as you're hearing this podcast. Start off your week like you always do, listening to us, Nick and Joe here. Joe, hi pal, how you doing? Good,
1: good. How are you good. doing? Good.
0: Uh, we're doing something a little different this week on the Tri-State Sports Beat. Obviously, last week we did our March Madness preview, so the tournament's probably going on by the time we're recording this. So. Check out that episode that we haven't actually recorded yet, but it's going to be out there when this one drops, so we're going to do that. But we have a, you know, no New York sports this week, so if you're not into that, sorry, that's not what you're getting this week. Um, in the mo- in recent months, we've been having a conversation with a, with a friend of ours that's been in the, you know, been around the sports industry, is a huge sports fan, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, has worked with the Philadelphia Eagles, a very good friend of ours, um... I want to introduce Jess Holster. Jess, thank you so much. And, you know, avid listener of the show, too, I have to add. Very avid listener of the show, but first time coming on.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course.
0: Of course, of course. So the reason Jess is here today is because we want to address a issue that's going on around professional sports. And we want to kind of have a conversation about it because, let's be honest, guys, it's not very often that conversations like this are had every single day. So Jess has been doing awesome work. She wants to create a project, you know, and I'll let her talk about it, of course. But she wants to create a awesome project where helping out players and it's just it's really it's really just something cool that she wants to create. And you know, it kind of blows my mind to be honest with you because she's not thinking about the sport on the field. Like, she's thinking about the little, the little guys, the people that don't get that big paycheck, the people that are on practice squads on in, in leagues and don't get to um, share the bright lights of the stars and all that stuff. So enough of me rambling on this monologue. Jess, <laughs> tell us how you started. Like, what gave you the inspiration to start this kind of thing? And give us some detail.
2: So I have had a lot of experience in the sports industry on multiple sides of it in both the professional setting, the collegiate setting, the high school setting of the transition of an athlete from going from the different stages in their career. And when you think of the NFL, like that is the top, that is the league that you are working your entire life to get to. And when you get to that league, it's a matter of, well, okay, your career is over. You decide to retire. And then what? You've dedicated 20 years, 10 years even to this sport that you are so dedicated to. And you're brought up on this idea of community and family and being a team. So where is that once you get to that, you know, top level? And I feel that businesses nowadays, especially in the sports industry, are forgetting the people when it comes to the business. You know, you're picking up a player, you're picking them up out of their lives that they've established as you know whether that be a college athlete that they're coming into the draft or they're a you know triple a player that you're bringing up to the big leagues. you're picking this player up and moving them to a new city a new location and they're going to have to adapt to that area and whether that is coming out of the draft or simply just a trade from team to team it's a whole new life and that's something that I feel like Teams don't really think about is that transition for them. So, the programs that I'm looking to present is something that's going to help with those transitions, both into and out of the league, where it's going to benefit not only the business end, but the players as well. And it's not just going to be the big names, the big contracts, the ones that you see, you know, blown up in lights or cardboard cutouts and stuff. It is going to help every player that comes through the league because the reality of it is, is playing on the practice squad of an NFL team is still amazing. And it's an opportunity that only a very select few get. And I do have like a couple of numbers that I thought were really interesting that the NCAA did statistics on. And it's like the comparison of high school participants to NCAA participants, to the percentage that go division one versus division two. And just seeing those numbers of, you know, starting with the, the largest pool, which is high school level, and then narrowing it down to the NCAA playing level where it is division one, division two. And that number goes from hundreds of thousands to maybe tens. And by the time you're getting into D1 and D2 and D3 schools, you're only talking about two to 3% that are actually playing and making it. Now, take that percent and think about how many move into the professional level. That number is so small that why are we not doing more to help that small pool of people to be able to move through the industry with the knowledge that they've used on the field, as well as picked up along the way that transitions into the business world? So that's just kind of like what I'm coming to do and kind of spark a conversation and poke the holes into the program that I have in my mind, because I don't have all the answers and I'm, you know, I don't have some of the experience by playing the sport I don't have a lot of the experience by being you know just a coach never mind just you know an athlete I've never moved into the professional level so getting to hear other people's stories and that's just really what I've been doing is reaching out and listening to the stories of people that have tried to attempt to get into the professional league or have made it and just hearing what they've gone through just so it's not hearing you know oh I made it and, I, and then I did it I'm hearing about people that, you know, made it in the league, they played in games, and now they're playing in, you know, the CFL, the XFL, they're playing in these other major league teams. So why not hear everyone's story and figure out how do we benefit the entire pool and not just the select few that come through in the limelight, or that do come to the attention of the media, but also the people that come through and they only get that small window. And maybe they might not be the best on the field, but they grew up with the lessons that these employers are looking for when they're in the hiring process. So, why not take that and mold them into the business asset that they could be, not just the player that they are?
0: And it, it comes, it's what's something that comes to mind as you were just talking, Joe. Like, we've been to training, we've been the Jets training camp many years in a row. Jess, you've come, you've come with yes. us on a couple <laughs> of occasions. And one that, in a play that sticks out to me, I don't know why. Joe, do you remember Greg Dortch? Yes. Remember Greg Dortch? Yeah. He was like the training camp fan favorite. And like, we all thought he was going to make the team because he was, you know, he was really good in the preseason and he we were amazed about what he was doing in training camp. He was only a kick returner, punt returner guy and like a fifth wide receiver on the team at the time. But we thought Greg Dortch was so good, he's going to make the team. He ends up not making the team. Now I'm thinking with this conversation that you're sparking, Jess, like what's Greg Dortch doing now? CFL Mm -hmm. exit like what like nobody's heard of him since I think he spent some time on the Panthers practice squad. You know the Jets were interested in putting him on the practice squad, but you know he was ended up getting picked up by Carolina, I think. But whatever happened to Greg Dortch? And that's that's just one example of what you're talking about, Jess. And it's not only and it's not only like the small practice squad guys. We're like a couple months ago, this story about Vincent Jackson comes out. The guy is found dead in his hotel room. And let's be honest, nobody was talking about Vincent Jackson for quite a couple years now since he retired. Of course, you know, star wide receiver for the then San Diego Chargers and the and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, this is just a situation I feel that a star player that was once a star was now forgotten, and he is dead now at the age of 38. Uh, what you can attest to that, I mean, I don't know any detail, I don't know the extent of the details that came out, the cause of death and all that stuff. But um, then you get into the whole conversation of the retired players and the after effects of playing a long career. And then we can get into CTE and all that stuff. I'm sure that, you know, contributed to what happened to Vincent Jackson. But Jess and, of course, Joe, you can chime in. You're the co-host of this podcast. Um, (laughs) Your thoughts on that when you first saw that news?
2: I mean, when I saw the news, honestly, it broke my heart because when the autopsy came out and they just, dis- they determined what the cause of death really was, chronic alcoholism was the determined cause of death. And to me, chronic, it, it that means it's not a short-term thing. Like, this is a long-term thing that people had to have seen, you know, the way that it has affected his life. And I feel like, where was the NFL after he was this really big star, like, They have, you know, found the NFL Care Foundation and they have these other programs in place that are meant to be options for these, you know, these players that have gone through. And Ryan Leaf came out, he uh with a really powerful statement about it. I don't know if you could pull the clip up, but it I feel like just listening to him, you'll be able to just hear his emotion on it because he was um somebody who came out and had been very straightforward with the public, like, yes. I was an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic and I'm working on it, but I had the support. Now he didn't. So where was it for him? So if you could pull that up, I think yep. it would be,
0: I have it right now. The this is Ryan Leaf is. talking about the, well, in reference to the Vincent Jackson situation, but also, you know, talking about this in general, let's listen up.
1: I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. <laughs> oh My NFL brothers continue to die and uh, nobody's doing a goddamn thing about it. I talked to another brother he spent the weekend in a psych ward today. The NFL just doesn't fucking care. They don't care. I mean, it's they're gonna write condolence letters and shit like that, but if they were invested, they'd actually put some money behind the legends community. And into the mental health and substance abuse side of it. And not once you're bad for the brand, the shield, they don't they could give two shits.
0: And of course, that's former number one overall pick, Ryan Leaf, in 1999, was the guy that came before uh, Peyton Manning in that year's draft. Obviously, didn't work out in the NFL, but that again, that's a potential star that you know fell on his ass in the league didn't pan out like he was supposed to and he you know he went through his you know substance abuse issues and all that stuff and now he's pleading for the NFL to do something this is just one of so many cases that that's going on and not just in the NFL in, in the NBA you know it's not it's not as well known as the NFL because the NFL has had so many you know lawsuits and stuff with the the alumni and the players association, you know, considering Mm -hmm. with uh, retired players and all that stuff. So just an instant reaction from you guys uh, hearing that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's upsetting because there is so much that we can do or that the NFL can do to support them and fund them. Like you said, for the legends committee, and none of that has been sought through really. So it's, it's kind of upsetting to see, and it brings back, memories of the movie concussion
0: mm-hmm. when
1: mm-hmm. when the whole uh, cte outbreak basically was going on and um the the nfl was trying to cover it up like this is a major thing that we deal with and me going to school to be an athletic trainer this is a huge part of our curriculum mm-hmm. is to teach us about concussion protocol and making sure that we don't send athletes, whether it's football, ice hockey, baseball, it doesn't matter what kind of, what sport it is. If we, if we put somebody back out on the field and they're, um, they're hurt and it can make it worse. Like why are we not doing anything to protect these athletes? And and right now, yeah. Like Jess said, like they're entertainers, they're making the money. Once they're bad for the brand, it's like, who is that guy? Mm. So it's kind of, it, it is really upsetting. And, and I think the conversation that we're having today is a huge step in the right direction. Jess, you want to rebound on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm somebody who personally, I've had six concussions myself, some of them quite severe. And you guys knew me growing up and you see who I am today. And I know my concussions have affected me. And the fact that the NFL didn't take them seriously, I wrote a 20 page paper in college about it. It's something that I do feel very passionate about because I feel like the NFL did not take responsibility. They do not take responsibility when it comes to the repercussions that their specific job affects their employees. If you were to go into another job, how would it be different than choosing the job of being in the NFL? And that's something that a lot of parents are having go through their heads right now because- With the coronavirus going on, it puts their kids at risk playing sports. So they're looking at, you know, is it worth putting my kid in a football program when what does football do for them? Because if they want to go and pursue a career in the sport, what is the NFL going to do with them when they get there? And that's something that, you know, as an athlete growing up myself and somebody who did play in college, I had to consider what would being a professional athlete be and what would it mean for me? Would it, you know, take me in the direction that I want to go? Would it give me the doors and opportunities that I need open to be able to continue the life that I would like to build? And I don't feel that the NFL takes responsibility or opens or offers even any doors that are outside of the realm to their players of what you do on the field versus who you are in person. They're the first person to, you know, as soon as it's, you know, they came through with a a drug issue or they come through with, you know, something happening, their first instinct is to immediately drop them. But you don't hear about, okay, we hear you. We see that you are struggling and we are here to support you in the same way that those players have supported the league by showing up to practices, by dedicating their entire lives, their childhood growing up playing that sport. And I just feel like there is a way that the NFL could do it where, It would begin with, you know, them funding it and them being responsible for putting it out there and getting, making the mistakes that they've made right and helping the players that are being like, you haven't heard us, now listen. And that's something that I feel like if people would just sit back and listen to their employees more, that they would understand that they would be getting a lot more out of them from a proficiency standpoint, rather than from a, you know, They're showing up and they're doing the job because you told them to make them want to come to work, make them want to be there because you are investing in them as much as they are investing in you. And it's not just because of the money. It's because of the person. It's because of the community that you build as a team or as a league, because that's what they're brought up on in football is, you know, family, community, being a team, teamwork. You know, if, if I lose, we lose. It's not just there's no I in team, you know, you can't bring those to the table and tell those those, you know, young kids and young athletes growing up that that's how it's going to be. But when they get to the moment, we're just going to let you hang out there and and see what happens. Mm. We're going to let you out to dry. And, you know, instead, why are we not helping them to be get through that transition in a smooth way with guidance, with mentorship, with networking, in ways that are going to end up helping them in the league and to be more successful when they're in the league, as you know, being able to ask the questions, what's better for them? You know, Hey, you've been in the league 10 years or you were in the league for eight years. You were a two-time pro bowler. You're somebody who the league identifies as somebody that we are honored to have in the league. It could be a program that, you know, goes on their list of accomplishments going into the hall of fame, because it is about helping the community and helping, not just the football now, but football down the road for the future, for generations to come. We are so stagnant where the NFL is at in, you know, the changes in the CBA when it comes to those kinds of things and, you know, doing little things to help, but how are we helping the overall issue, which is like you said, helping the little guy. Mm -hmm. So I think that like Vincent Jackson's story and Ryan Leaf, just showing that like the emotion behind it of being somebody who's still here and can advocate for somebody who felt forgotten and somebody who felt, you know, used by the league as, you know, we used your skill, you did what you had to do. And once you were gone, you know, like he said, the brand doesn't identify with you anymore. So see you later. And that's just not right from an ethical standpoint in what, you know, I've been presented at least through my education and through my experience in the professional world and in the sports industry.
0: Yeah, there's also I'm um, I'm also thinking about a another example too. Uh, you know, I'm well a more well-known player, but you know, Joe, we talked about this in the 2019 season when Coletti Assembly was a part of the Jets. He ends up getting hurt. You know, we had high hopes for him, but you know, of course, it's the Jets, so of course they don't. You know, they don't yeah. have our expectations, of course. But you know, the the situation with Coletti Assembly too is another example of you know a team just not taking care of their players the correct way. And I'm gonna call out the Jets here. I mean, we trash talk them anyway, so you know what? Might as well, you know, call them out here.
1: <laughs> so but, much for no New York sports. Exactly. Right. But, <laughs> but there is
0: but there is a local connection yeah, here. And yeah. and you know, when O'Semili gets hurt in the twenty nineteen season and the Jets deny him, you know, surgery when he obviously needed it and they basically just told him, you know, here, shoot up and, and go play, like, I'm sure there's a lot more scenarios like that in pro sports in general, not just football. I know we're very football centric right now, but this, this obviously opens up to all different sports, but that one situation, you know, at the time we probably didn't address it because it wasn't an on the field issue only, you know, Kaleche wasn't playing at the time. That's a big blow to, you know, the Jets chances of winning, The of winning, you know, in the couple weeks, they didn't win a lot, but it is, but that is what it is at this point. But, it's also kind of a feel good story if you think about it, because Colegio Semley doesn't play. He ends up getting the surgery anyway, and now he's on Kansas City and is a Super Bowl champion. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a case right there where it's more of a feel good story. But the Jets on that end don't have any excuse for how they handled that situation. And obviously, you know, there's a pattern here under Adam Gase. There was also in this past season there was also a lot of injury mismanagement. Joe, we talk about Makai Becton. The guy was hurt a lot. Still playing, the guy was playing hurt for probably most of the year, more than we know, and that's probably more of a situation than we think in in professional sports. But you know, that's just a little local example. So let's get into the details of your proposed program, Jess, and what you and what you are trying to do, and the programs that you want to put in place and challenge these professional sports leagues, these teams, to kind of you know. Let's get it going here. This is what, this is what you should be doing for your players.
2: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is like, right now I am in the process of finding a full-time job and I'm looking at teams and I'm looking at their, you know, what do they offer for their rookies or their, their people that are coming into the league and working on the transition of not only the high school and college athletes that are working on moving up and in, but also once they're in, it's not just like, okay, you're here thumbs up and send them on their little way with their paycheck. It's about what is it, what is it going to do for them? And I think something that I noticed coming across the MLB is, you know, rookie career development program is it really does give them a lot of opportunity. And, you know, the MLB is a really great example of a league that does take care of their rookies. They do have things in place like, you know, if they were pulled out of college, that they do help them with some type of, you know, getting back into school. They have programs that, you know, recognize them for their accomplishments, like the Choice Awards, like their career development that they have to be able to not only just get them into the league, and you know throw them right into the game and make them a professional athlete but get them in the mentality of it get them in the physical you know physical development of it and making sure that they're going to be the best player that they can be once they hit the field because if you sit there and you're just you know expecting a college student to come in and play as a professional athlete i think that's really naive because when you are in the college setting I I have experience in, you know, college coaching and you are taught, you know, it's important to make sure that the player is also considered. Like we brought up the concussions thing. If one of the players was to get, you know, any type of head injury, my athletic trainer had to check them out and having that rule in place ensured that it was the safety of the student, not just in the short term of how is it going to affect the game in that moment now, but how is it going to affect their future? A lot of times we forget that, you know, these college athletes that we see on the TV and we're talking about in March Madness, like they need a certain GPA to be able to play on that court. They need to be able to have these things in place to make sure that they can show up for primetime TV to entertain you. But we have to remember that they're also a student. They're a student athlete. And as a coach, that's something that I was told you have to put as the forefront of your program is that student athlete, student comes first. And you have to understand that they are a person that is getting an education. And I think that's also something that the NFL could be looking at as a human player. Like they are a human before they are a player. They are not, you know, just, you you put your controller on and you turn on the video game and you manipulate them to do and say what you want. This is somebody with feelings and emotions and thoughts that can contribute to the conversation. And whether it be, you know, on the field or, you know, as a coach or a scout or something else, I feel like the NFL could provide programs like a mentorship or a networking program to begin with to help that smooth transition for incoming players and rookies and creating the connections within the industry with leaders and mentors that are setting the the standard to what the NFL feels is the, the face that they want to put forward. Like you don't want to put Antonio Brown as, you know, your forefront of the rookie program because of, you know, some of the ways that he was manipulating the league and moving through the league or making bad decisions, but maybe putting somebody like JJ Watt, who is somebody who said like, I am going to make decisions for the best of me and my family and what I want and need as well as the best for the team. We know he didn't want to leave the Texans. We know that he loved that team, Mm -hmm. but he also knew for the best of the team, it was best to leave. And that also, he wanted to make sure he was going to a team that was best for him and his family. That, to me, was one of the best transitions of an athlete through the league that I've seen in a very long time, where it isn't about, you know, simply just this is what's best for the team. This was also what was best for him. And I feel like experienced players like him who have been through this and have worked their way through the league on making sure that it was something that was happy for them and the teams that they were involved with will create mentors and guidance for these people that need it. Like as an incoming freshman to college, you need that type of mentorship. And that was something that my school did a really great job of with like the summer bridge program they offered. And I was a mentor for two years and saw the benefits of it. That it's not about just, you know, here's a quick rundown of what college is gonna be like. It's also about, here's a couple of connections within the school that you can use that if you have a question, or you need help, or you need, you know, hey, I need this. Could you put me in contact with somebody? You had a point of contact. Um, It helps to create a sense of community, and it'll build a network within the industry to not only create more of a sense of sportsmanship, not just on the field, but, you know, as a business, but also by creating positive role models for people in the league that maybe, you know, I know personally like growing up you know I had a father figure that came in and out of my life and so for me it was really hard to find a male mentor and when I did I found it in my volleyball coach in high school I only played for one year and he said Jesse you've been an athlete your whole life if you think this is something you want to try let's go he sat me down I played I think five minutes my entire senior year but the following year I got a starting position as a walk-on player at my university and was able to play there for four years. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of having somebody believe in you. And sometimes just that little bit of support can really just skyrocket people from just the potential that they feel like they can do to just having somebody believe in them and knowing that they can reach those limits that maybe they weren't able to before because of the resources that were available. So just creating that program. So that way it's not only educating them, but it's also educating the league as well as creating network and mentoring programs to help them. So when they leave the league, you know, they're not just like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. They can reach out to the connections and be like, hey, you know, I think I have a really good IQ. And that's something that maybe through another program I have in mind of like creating programs that when they decide that it is time to retire. How can the league still use their knowledge and use the time that they've invested in them, whether it be a year on the practice squad or whether it be 20 years? you know, as starting quarterback for three different teams, you know, there's different levels of experience, but I feel like everybody was brought to the team for a reason. You didn't look at the guy and go, okay, well, he's tall. So check. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, you don't pick a person for one specific reason. You pick them because of, you know, their skills, but also their mentality, their ability to handle challenges and to be able to take criticism and, why aren't we taking that and transitioning that into being an employee in the business? So it's just like about fixing the open gap that they have to be able to be that figure and that mentor and that leader for people that maybe never had it or be that guidance for somebody who doesn't know what it's like to, you know, have $3 million in their pocket. I mean, me and you have personally sat down and have a conversation about um, Shaquille O'Neal when he got earned his first million dollar contract.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He went out and bought three Mercedes Benz for him and his family. And then went, Uh Oh, they already took 250,000 in taxes and fees. And then now I only have enough money for a month of rent. I do that too. But that's what I'm saying. And that's something that we aren't talking (laughs) taught in the education system, but we were actually very lucky to have somebody in our high school that did kind of teach us a little bit of those things that, um, Like, I feel like she really did benefit a lot of us that came through the high school because we had that little bit of knowledge that maybe not everybody who went through the system that didn't take her class didn't get.
0: Listen, Um, the only only thing I ever learned in a business class and the only thing I ever took out of high school is how to write a checkout. And who was that from? Yeah, Mrs. DeGraw, my homeroom teacher.
2: Shout out. Shout out. And like. You know, I never had Mr. Grau actually, as a teacher, I only came and hung out during homeroom, oh. you know, with you all. And so it was just really funny because she was not only just teaching during her classes, but she was also teaching during, you know, little life lessons, mm-hmm. you know, just having a conversation with you and having that mentor, whether she knew it or not, she really did impact my life and she did inspire me. You know, it is about the little conversations you have mm-hmm. and it is more about the networking that you are doing and the network that you personally create. I mean, I, that's what LinkedIn is built on is the network that you create. And that's why businesses look at that when you are in the hiring process, because they want to know who do you connect with? They want to see that you have positive connections. They want to see that you're making a difference. And that's what this would do. Mm. It would be, you know, it would cost the NFL in the beginning, because you'd have to have, you know, a foundation yeah, created. Yeah.
1: But they have so you much have money in the, the world. They have to be able to do that. Right. Exactly.
2: But as you have people come through the program, wouldn't you be more willing to give back to a program that gave to you? Yeah. Somebody that took you under their wing and like with no expectation, just being like, hey, this is what we have to offer for you. Here's a couple of things that we can do for you on your transition while you're in the league and on your transition as you're moving out of the league and showing that we're willing to invest in you, that we see that you're you know, an asset to not only just the team as a running back or a quarterback or a kicker. You mean more to the team than you know just the statistic you can bring. Yeah. The person that you are and the experience that you have gone through also matters and also will help to develop the league. And I feel like that'll help not only on the league side of people willing or wanting to come in, People who want to now be like, okay, it's not the end. It's not just, you know, I'm going to go and play in the NFL and then I'm going to live in my million-dollar home and relax. Like, everything's great in this world. Like, they're willing to also invest in me if I want to go back to school after I went out.
0: And that money eventually goes away.
2: Exactly. Like, money is not forever. And, like, the world is expensive. Yeah, I mean, you go to the Dollar Tree and you still – you know what I mean? You still walk out, and you still got to
1: pay. We, live, know, in Jer- we live in New Jersey. We live in New Jersey.
0: It's very expensive to live here. We know. We know better than probably a lot
1: of people do. And you right. know, what's, you know what's actually crazy? I was just looking up this this stat here. Um, I was looking up like the retirement checks that professional athletes get afterwards. Mm-hmm. And in a 2019 article, a player in the NFL for every year that they've played gets three thousand dollars. <laughs> what and in 2011 they tacked on a, an extra $124 to that check per season played
2: wow so um, they can MLB, afford some more dishes or mlb a
1: or uh, some sorry. over over in the nba a player who played in the same amount of time before retiring after 1965 received $215,000 a year. And that
0: was in when? 1960 what? That's after retiring okay, in
1: 1965.
0: Okay. okay. Oh, wow. That's, still, that's a lot so of money it's been, back then. It's been
1: in place. Yeah, it's been in place, obviously, since 1965. Right. So, I mean, that's just a an outstanding gap right. between yeah. what the NFL and just the NBA. The, the MLB, it says... The same thing, basically. Uh, after retiring uh, in 1980, you receive a pension of around 200 thousand dollars,
0: but we, instead of
1: instead of three thousand. Yeah.
0: But Jess, you brought up. I want to circle back for a minute about the student athlete uh, points that you brought up, and mm-hmm. I was actually watching a ESPN 30 for 30. It's a one and not done. The one with John Calipari, the Kentucky head coach. And he was the former head coach at Memphis, and his star player was Derek Rose in two thousand nine, and they, you know, went mm-hmm. on a run to the NCAA tournament and were in the Final Four, national championship, and all that. But Memphis, you know, well, apparently, allegedly, you know, it's not been proven, but Derek Rose cheated on his SAT. He was a star player, so mm-hmm. according to NCAA rules, if you're academically ineligible, whatever win loss, what the record with that player playing on the court does not count. Yeah. So Memphis was forced by the NCAA to take down those final four that final four banner, the national championship game appearance appearance banner because Derrick Rose was ineligible to play. And of course Derrick Rose went on to go be the number 1 overall pick, uh you know, in two thousand and was the MVP in 2010-2011, the youngest MVP in NBA history. Was off to a really promising career and then ACL injury. Yeah. He's never the same player ever again. The Bulls say bye, the Timberwolves pick him up. But we think about the what if, and Derrick Rose has gone on to be a backup point guard. He's on the New York Knicks. I, I love him, but he's, you got to think about the what if. What if Minnesota doesn't take a chance on a veteran Derrick Rose with an ailing knee injury? What if? What if Chicago, Chicago let him go? What if no other team took him on? Now obviously, they saw the talent, but you got we got to think about these things. What if Derrick Rose never plays a game in the NBA ever again? What does he have to show for it? A, a league MVP trophy? <laughs> a couple of Final Four banners at Memphis that apparent that don't even exist according now to the NCAA? What do you have to, you know, a couple million dollars in the bank because you got the incentives from being the MVP, the best player in the league? What if Chicago, Chicago released him? What if no other team was like, eh, we don't want him? Knee injury, not the same player he was, and he hasn't been the same player since. Let's be real here. Derrick Rose could have been one of the best players to ever lace him up. Knee injury, boom, gone. Now he's a career backup point guard. He's lucky to still be in the league. But you mm-hmm. gotta think we gotta think about these what ifs. Have to think about these what ifs. That's the, and yeah. that's what we don't think about.
2: And especially like when he made that decision to cheat on the SAT, if he did. How old was he? You know, he was 17, 18 years old. He's how old now? Like, we have to understand that, like, yeah, maybe he made that mistake coming in. And a lot of people would be like, well, he made that choice. He made that decision. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And he will, he will be held responsible. And it is something that we would keep in mind. But if you make a mistake, it means that you're gone. Like you're erased from history. You're gone forever. Like, I don't, the NCAA made the decisions based off of what they thought was best. And I support them and, you know, what they've done. But I also think that, you know, if this, you know, idea of what if he didn't play again, it would have to come down to like, he is now a lot older. He is a lot more mature. He has learned from that mistake. He has moved on from it. He has had a successful career, but now how does he continue his life? Mm -hmm. He's still a human life. And that's something that, you know, that, translates through you know any business industry and i'm talking about whether that be as high as government down all the way to you know this like it's it's comes across to the education system Mm -hmm. it comes across to just because somebody makes one mistake it doesn't mean that they are a bad person it just means that they're human and you know everybody makes mistakes and like it just takes somebody to say like hey you made a messed up you made a little mistake but we still see that you are talented and that's something that I think that you know maybe Minnesota did see you know we see that you have the ability the knowledge the whatever it was that they felt that they could have faith in him still and just having somebody believe in him did allow him to be able to continue to have a successful career but like you said like you know that injury did really affect him and there's a lot more players that had you know that what if happened rather than, you know, what happened to Derrick Rose. So it's about, you know, having maybe a player like himself who, you know, said, you know, I made a really dumb decision back then. And I know that, and that was not the way to do it. But I know now that like, if I wasn't to have made that decision, that like, this is how I could have done it and still been as successful as I am and still know that I would have gotten to where I was by not cheating and not doing whatever it was that the NCAA felt was, why they could take the banner away, Mm. but also understanding that like you have to have mentors that are going to create, you know, a community and a sense of, of, you know, what the foundation of the company's beliefs are of like, you know, it's not just about what you do on the field. You know, we have the Peyton Manning and, 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 you know, other big names that, they came out like drew Brees has a contract now after he came out of playing for how many years and he gets a talk show and they get this, but like, what about the guys that come through and they're on the practice squad for a year? And it was like, they were really smart. They knew exactly how to read the play. They just could not physically execute it. Like, why are we not looking at them and, you know, saying, stand next to me. And I want, you know, to hear you read this. What do you look at this position? Like, how would you compare this to a scouting? Like, why wouldn't you take somebody with a really high IQ and an eye for talent to become a scout and then say like, Hey, we we see that you have this potential. We're willing to invest in you to be able to do it. It gets them work experience. It gets them education experience. So like, not only is it going to help create this, you know, evolution of, you know, when they're coming through that, it's not just, Hey, like good luck. It's being a support and being, guidance for them as they go through so that way when you know they work their way through their league they are having more positive experiences they are feeling like they are more included and like really getting the NFL to invest in them more as much as they invested their lives into it because you would you know you'd have to talk to everybody Mm -hmm. and whether that be on a team level or whether that be as a league like I don't feel like it's that hard with how many people are coming through on a daily basis to sit down and have like maybe 10 people responsible to talking to people that are on these transitions into and out of the league. So that way you are catching, you know, mistakes as well that the leagues or the teams are making. So when you have somebody like come back, like Ryan Leaf, saying that you don't, you don't blanking care. You just don't like mm-hmm. you, you are already being that support and you maybe are getting you know, ahead of those types of problems that could develop like substance abuse, like, you know, making decisions that might lead them down a wrong path and making them more of an asset to the team and contributing more to the team during their time there by keeping them on the right track. Because those first couple of years in the league are the most important. I mean, the average player is only in the league three and a half years. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So, you know, to look at a player and look at them as like, oh, well, how are they going to be a 10-year investment? by investing in them on the other ends of things as being a human being, as being, you know, a potential business partner, by being somebody who can expand the brand or expand the knowledge of football. So why not treat them that way? So that's kind of just like the first program and like just getting to see like how it could be worked maybe into a CBA, you know, maybe this isn't something that just gets sprinkled in. Like this is something that is on every single player's contract Like you are in this program like it's a part of your rookie benefits so it's a part of your you know transition from you know whether you're moving from one team to another or from a sub-level you know triple maybe like a triple a team or like something right below the league to into that like top tier level and making sure that it's preventing stuff like backlash or lawsuits coming back to be like you know you didn't care or you know you didn't take care of me when you said you would Mm -hmm. because they promise a lot. And this is a way to actually keep that promise. Yeah.
0: And uh, I want to bring up a couple more examples. And then of course you can continue on with, with what you want to accomplish and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, One example that again, this seems to be a trend with college athletes and then their post playing life. One example is the fab five in Michigan in the nineties. And, you know, consisted of Jalen Rose, Chris Weber, and, Um, Jawan Howard, now the Michigan basketball head coach, but Chris Weber, again, another banner taking down situation where the Michigan Wolverines were on the run and went to back to back final fours, never won a national championship, but come to find out later that Chris Weber was taking money, which of course, student athletes aren't allowed to do. And that's another conversation for a different day. But Chris Weber was found out taking money from, uh, family members, from friends and, you know, using it to buy, you know, jewelry and buy nice things and stuff like that that every college student wants to do. And, you know, there were sanctions coming down on Michigan basketball. Chris Webber was banned from the University of Michigan for 15 years, I think, something like that. Couldn't come back. Couldn't be associated with the university. Had to take down those Final Four banners. Chris Webber went on to go be a top five, I believe a top five pick to the Sacramento Kings. Didn't have a great professional career that everyone thought he was going to. But... The spin on that is Chris Webber doesn't play basketball anymore, and now he's mm-hmm. a broadcaster on TNT. Now he broadcasts NBA games. Now my other example is a little more extreme. I was, well, again, another ESPN uh, 30 for 30 thing on Bob Knight, the former Indiana head coach, mm. and his whole situation, his scandal. But the big thing that came away from that was the choking incident at practice with one of his former star players. And it all started out with a... Journalists saying, Hey, why are these three McDonald's all Americans leaving Bob Knight's Indiana Hoosiers? The powerhouse in college basketball at that time. Come to find out, you know, this video comes out during that whole scandal of Bob Knight choking out. Well, not choking out, but it's a little excessive, but you can go look you can go look at the video if you want. It's on YouTube, but chokes one of his star players that as a child wanted only wanted one thing to play for Indiana and Bob Knight. That was his mm-hmm. life goal to play for the Hoosiers. And Bob Knight. This kid quit. Well, he tran he transferred to his um transferred out of Indiana. Was a star there. Transferred out of Indiana to go to a smaller school where his dad coached. The guy went in hiding afterwards. He went to go play basketball overseas, but after that, the guy was never the same. The guy was emotionally scarred from what happened to him at Indiana. And on top of that, all the Indiana fans saying Bob Knight is, you know, Bob Knight's the king of Indiana. There's a point where Bob Knight was more powerful at the University of Indiana than the president of the university. He held more power than the president of the university and the AD and all that stuff. But Neil Reed is, was the player, and the guy ended up dead at 36. You know, he went on to have a family and a wife and all that good stuff. was a high school basketball coach at the end of his life. But I think he died of a, of a heart condition at age 36. Like, you don't think that trauma of going through all that and having to answer questions about Bobby Knight and his relationship with the University of Indiana for so long, you don't think that like emotionally got to him and played a factor in mm-hmm. dying at age 36. So I think those are two pretty good examples. One, one coming out positively, being a star athlete, and then the other one it tragically dead at 36 because of a situation like this.
2: Right. Exactly. And like, that's like this, like the sad part about it is, you know, everybody isn't a success story. And the reality of it is, is like, you know, there's a more negative that comes out of it than there is positive. Like if you think about like your parents or people that have gone through the league that have come out and said, my body just is not the same anymore. People like LeBron and Tom Brady, they stay in the league as long as they do because they take great care of their body. But not everybody has the financial means to do that or has the motivation, you know, or mental strength or mental drive to do it. Some people, it's not their dream to play for 20 years in the league like them. But for those that it is, when they have the money to do it, it does make it a little bit easier. But not to say that it's the job of the NFL to pay these people to be able to do that. But it is their responsibility when it comes to, them as a person, you know, having these things, like if these people had, you know, some type of support in the NCAA, you know, to come out and say, like, we are going to give you some type of support through all of this, like, maybe things would have been different, or maybe things would have been handled a little bit different by having a little bit of mentorship or guidance before any of that had even happened. But it takes, I think, really, It showed in the MLB and the NBA really taking the players and them as people into account through some of these rookie programs, or even with the most recent as the bubble, like the bubble, they really did their best to try to take care of them. And yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was also the first time it was being done. And that's not to say that, you know, this, this project idea is the perfect idea because it is the first time that something like this would be maybe worked into the NFL. So that's why like coming to you guys was so important and coming on this, you know, this podcast was so important was so that way we could get a discussion going and bring attention to stuff like, you know, Derek Rose and like people that are just not being talked about mm-hmm. because, you know, Vincent Jackson, that story blew up for a day yep, and that was it. You know, it, these people that have come through, spend a lot of time to have their name blow up for one day. And especially when it comes down to the fact that his name only came to light because of a lack of compassion from the league is just like, it just doesn't sit correct with me. And I think that's why something like this would help not only to make sure that the people that are going through the league are being tracked with their progress. It's being, they're being held accountable because the league is holding them accountable. They have somebody who's talking to them and being their guidance and being their mentor to make sure that they are taking the right steps because agents and parents and all of these people that they have as influence in their life are just doing the best that they can with the decisions that they've made and their experience. They don't necessarily know what it's like to be in that seat. I mean, Shaq's parents wanted the car. They knew he had money, but they didn't realize that, you know, a million dollars wasn't a million dollars either. So when you have these outside influences, you have to keep in mind that it has to be like somebody's responsibility to create programs like that. And if you're going to have a rookie program already, why not improve on it? Why not make it better? So that way your assets that you are investing in are not only becoming more successful while in the league, but they'll also be more successful on their way out of it. They'll feel the support that the league gave them. They might be able to, you know, move on and create innovation within the league as well they might be able to bring, you know, hey, because of this experience and having somebody believe in me, I had the faith to bring my idea to life. So it's just about, like, how can we – the league is so focused on the game right now, I think they forget that the importance of the sport and putting it on national television and putting it on primetime television is, like, to create the understanding of that football, of what it is to the to America and what it is to, you know, this – our community – you know, having so many podcasts like your own, where people are so dedicated to talking about these things that they take the time out of their day, whether some they're a big podcast or a small podcast or on national television or on the radio, like they want their voices heard. And I think that's what the biggest part of coming on here was, is making sure that our voices are being heard with this topic, because I feel like it's so important that like, finding those common tags and finding, you know, the holes in the program that are already there, finding a way to supplement it through a program similar to this. And then also finding more holes and listening to more feedback to be able to just continue to improve and continue to grow the programs to make sure that it's invested in like the best way for both the league and the player.
1: Joe, did you have something to add? No, I was I was kind of going to reiterate that same thing. It's this. It's just that, like the NFL, all these all these prime sports, uh, basically sports in general. It you don't have a game or a league or a team without your players. Mm-hmm. So taking care of those players should be at your utmost priority. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, it's just. I wish that it was better and we didn't have to have this conversation and that we didn't have to try to force these programs on these leagues because it should be common sense almost um, for these, for the, uh, the people higher up. But um, the players are, are what really matters. And from rookie to vet, you should be taken care of and continued into into the retirement as well, whether it's mental health, mental health, um, like you said, alcoholism, drug abuse, um, it doesn't matter. It stretches so many different conditions mm-hmm. and the opportunities that can be given. You see all these bigger, bigger name players getting these opportunities given. But like what Jess said, what about the smaller guys? Mm-hmm. We got to give those opportunities to the smaller guys too because you never know they might not have the skill out on the field or or out on the ice or out in the in the stadium or whatever but what if they do in the broadcast booth what if they do scouting? you know what i Mm -hmm. mean so so i mean they're all great points that jess has brought up and and it it should have been something that's like been out there already and i and it's it's crazy that it hasn't Right, it really is,
0: Joe. I wanna, and Jess, you can answer this too, um, because you went to a different university that we do, Joe. Because your work, you work close with athletes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed, like, have you, or have you ever thought, like, is there a sports psychologist on campus, like, like for these for these athletes, like, and do you even think, like, that they need it in our in ESU situation, and Jess, from whatever you may have saw it at your
1: university. For ESU, I'm not super familiar because I was only with ESU for one semester. So I don't believe there's like a particular person for fight uh, for um, like psychology. But do you think there should be psychology, right? If there is, do you think there should be? Why I why not?
2: I think there should be as well, and I think that there should be in the rec leagues as well. Like Mm -hmm. growing up, like one to a department. I think that that's something that they don't think about is the psychology of it, like psychology, there's a reason that you're required to take it as one of your college, Mm -hmm. you know, requirements. requirements. And I was on a specific committee at my college that was about the core curriculum. And it was about what is needed for a student to be able to come through and not just be educated in their field, but educated well overall as well. That's why you're required to take math and fine arts and all of these other things, because you have to be a well-rounded student because when you go out into the world, you could be as book smart as you want. But if you don't know, maybe the psychology or philosophy or the sociology of something, maybe the connections don't always line up. And sports psychology is so unique because every athlete is so different. It varies from sport to sport. It varies from, you know, is it, A you know, a women's league or a men's league or a co-ed league. It matters, you know, where the league is and the location of it and maybe the psychology of the people around it. And I think that's what makes sports so interesting is that there are so many factors of it because when you have a college team, most times it's not all local people. Most times it's people from all over. And at that point, you are creating a culture. Of your own on that team. And that's why it's so important to create a sense of community and a sense of family, because by bringing all of those cultures together, it helps to educate everybody that, you know, maybe the way you grew up isn't quite the best, you know, idea of approaching something. You might cook an egg, you know, by putting butter in the pan and then putting the egg on and then putting the cheese on, but maybe. You know, somebody who grew up in France maybe did it a different way or somebody who grew up in South Africa might have done it a different way. So like just learning little things about, you know, not only what can the league learn from people that were in the league, but people like us who have had, you know, only outside experience, Mm. but also people like the MLB or the NBA who are dealing with a completely different sports psychology than their own because it is a different sport or it's run a different way or it's looked at in a different mindset. So like sports psychology, I think would be really important for every single type of sports team, whether it be a rec department or whether it be, you know, a college team, because I don't think people always think about that. How did it affect the psychology of the athlete? How did it affect the mental? And that would end up, I think, helping on the long run when it came to mental health by like identifying maybe something earlier on.
0: You see, you see more and more, too, in uh, the professional setting that a, a team psychologist or something of that matter mm-hmm. travels mm-hmm. with the team. But in my opinion, I think it's more important to have a person like that in a program where you're in college and transitioning to that. Because, I mean, it's it's obviously important either way, but that transition from college to professional life, and that goes for anybody, not just in sports, it goes for anybody. But we unfortunately, we can't all have our own personal, you know, Psychologist on our on our shoulder, like we just can't we just can't have that. But you know, I think that's an important factor that you know college, and of course, we're talking about the NCAA. We're talking about professionals, but it all just kind of bubbles into one thing when you kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all the same issue we're trying to fight, no matter high school, college, or professional level, and and stuff like that. Uh, Jess, what else do you have? Anything else? Uh, I mean, the okay. only other
2: like program that, you know, kind of would be the, you know, the B category of the first one is like the transition out as well. And that's something that I've already touched on, but like having an exit interview would also create a way for the players to express, you know, while I was in the league, you know, this was something that could benefit maybe having somebody come through and say having a sports psychologist on hand was really helpful. Getting that type of feedback is only going to help the lead more, but also having it be the opportunity to sit down and say, we have, you know, the NFL player association, we have the care foundation, we have programs such as these to be able to make sure that every player that comes through has the ability to know what their options are beyond the playing field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could have, you know, there, there has to be a standard, you know, there has to be, every player is offered these things. And I do agree that maybe, you know, if you have situations like I came out as a junior in college on a full scholarship, you, you know, I made the decision to come here. The NFL would then be able to provide maybe some type of financial help or putting you in connection with, or trying to get you in, or maybe even, you know, providing a type of internship within the organization while you continue your your education, because that's something that's really important while you're in college as well. So like just creating also an exit interview where it gives time for the programs to be, you know, put in the forefront of their mind and be like, hey, this is exactly what we can do for you, but also giving them the ability to say that I no longer want to be a tied to the team or the league or anything. And, you know, that doesn't affect them becoming, you know, maybe a Hall of Famer. That doesn't affect maybe some of the other like awards that they could earn as a retired or a legend from the league. But it would mean that, you know, the NFL isn't responsible for helping them to find a new career or to help them transition into the sports industry because some people just don't want the help. And that's fine. Because some people got to that point on their own and they busted their butt to get there and they want to continue to do that. And I respect them just as much as I would respect somebody asking for help because people need to do what's best for them. And I feel like this will help to give the player the ability to express that to the league and be able to, you know, give them the responsibility of, you know, accepting these programs, but also the responsibility of if they decide that this is not it, that they understand that the NFL has no longer any, you know, obligation to them. Um, and then again, it would just end up saving them money from people coming back, like, you know, and saying, I, you know, you guys didn't care or you guys didn't do this, or you guys didn't do that. And saying like, that's, you know, we, we offered you stuff and you said you didn't want our help. So we're sorry that you experienced that. But at that point, you've made the decision for your future and you have to live with that decision, but understanding that there is a certain level that the NFL could do, to just give opportunity and create positive relationships with their players to be able to prevent issues going forward would be able to make the exit interview process so much easier because they would feel less, you know, abandoned or less, you know, hung out to dry. They'd feel like they were taken care of during their time in the league. So maybe they would be less willing to, you know, lean on the team. But that could be done, you know, funding-wise through people who have gone through seeing the way it helped. Experience the way it helped, maybe contributed to the way it helped and donate back to it. This is something that eventually I would love to see it become a non-for-profit where it, the NFL is not making money off of it. It's just simply that they had to put the money in, they invested the money into it. And then from there, they were able to just say, this is a, you know, a part of our league, that this isn't the union. This isn't the, the other, this is us. Holding ourselves responsible and taking it upon ourselves to make these decisions and put these in place and not just be, you know, oh, well, we have a union for that or we have this for that. Like, I understand that the union would have to be consulted and, you know, the CBA and lawyers and, you know, I have my own contact with law. And he did explain to me a lot of the process that, you know, it would go in. But he also did explain to me how something like this would be beneficial from backlash or from, you know, back end like issues that may come up in the long run, like a lawsuit, like, you know, someone coming out and saying, you don't care because I know personally, I would rather see my kid as somebody who went through and studied sports management. It's proven that like athletes in tennis are paid more equally between men and women. Mm -hmm. So like, maybe I would like to see that they, you know, that's something that they can earn something more consistently, man or woman. I would rather see them do something like that. And may push more to something like that rather than football when I know they're going to get to the league and they're going to be handed a big plate of don't care and be sent, you know, on their merry way. So I think that would just not only make it, you know, a better for the community of football overall, but it would also help the league with more people wanting to come in, more people feeling like they belong there because they are invested in getting more out of their assets, making them, you know, more profitable And also working on innovating the business to just be more about the people that are involved in it and not just about, you know, how much money can we make? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's something that through a lot of interviews I've had with AAA teams and, you know, a lot of these smaller teams, not the big leagues, is that's the community that they did. And that's something that I do actually commend the Dolphins for. Like I've interviewed with the Dolphins and that's something that they very, like, forwardly made it very clear that community is something that's very important to them. And, you know, it's not about you come in, you do your job and that's it. Like it's you come in and we care about your life outside of it. We, you know, want to see, and we want to invest in you. And that's something that I would, you know, love to see more teams doing that. Not only for somebody coming in like myself as ticket sales or, you know, maybe as event staff, like I, uh, you know, had been for the Eagles, but. You know, for the players that are also, the ones that we're all showing up for. Because mm-hmm. without them, all of us are out of a job. All of us, you know, the the virus really showed what the world without sports is like. And I don't Miserable. think we want a world like that. Because, but it's gonna slowly keep going. I mean, it's shown that as years progress, that by two to 5% every single year, and especially with a big drop with the virus, like people are not playing the sports anymore because they don't see the benefit of, When it comes to being in a business, but as somebody who's going through the interview process right now, I'm learning about how athletics really is something that jobs look for because it teaches you, you know, Hey, I'm criticizing you. You're practicing. It's okay to make mistakes and we're going to build and learn from it. And it teaches you to, you know, work hard and it teaches you, you know, strong work, work ethics and what could really be more beneficial to, you know, being in athletics from a small age, and it's not just about, you know, what, what the game is at hand, but also about, you know, again, it's the bigger picture. It's the past, the present and the future of the game. And how are we moving forward towards a better future for the kids that are coming up through it for the next draft for the next CBA? How are we taking the steps to just get better? Because if we stay the same, I feel that the world is going to outgrow the NFL quicker than they'll be able to catch up to it. So it's a matter of, you know, listening to the people now, putting these programs in place, finding people like me or new guys who are willing to, you know, question the norm. I'm not, you know, willing to sit back and say, keep doing what you're doing, it looks great. No, what you're doing is, you know, BS. You You gotta start taking care of your people. You gotta start caring because if you don't, those numbers are just gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then football be history. And if that's what they want, then they're doing a great job of it and they should keep up their work. But if not, then I challenge the NFL to go ahead and start introducing programs like these. And I would love to be able to, you know, responsible for putting these in place, but it takes hearing the stories of the players that have gone through it. And that's what I'm doing now is reaching out to players that have gone through the league or who are in the league. And I just hear their stories and hear what they've gone through. And I just see more and more how these programs would help them. So I really hope that the NFL maybe, you know, hears something like this and really thinks, man, this is, this is something bigger than what we're doing. And we need to step up and we need to take responsibility and we need to do more. And I hope that Roger Goodell and, you know, a lot of the other bigger people like the owners and like the, the general managers really self-evaluate and say, what can we do? How can we hold ourselves responsible for these things that have happened, and better the sport overall for the good of football, and not just the good of their team and their profits?
0: Joe, if you were to guess, would you think? And if we didn't know Jess, would you? Uh, would you think that she had her own, <laughs> own podcast? <laughs> Definitely. Would One hundred percent. I mean, you, you, I mean, you come so prepared, and like, and you, and we can yeah. tell just sitting here, like, you're just so passionate about this, and and it, it really just it. And to be honest with you, like. We're a sports talk podcast. Like we don't normally talk about things like this. So this is also new for us. So yeah. you know, years of, you know when we first started, we would have never thought we'd be sitting here having a conversation about the athletes themselves and what they and what goes on not just on the field and stuff like that. So, you know, I I'll, I'll speak for both of us and you know, this is this has been an eye-opening, you know, thing that you've brought to our eyes and hopefully that we could share it to everybody else and uh, I guess I'll start with, you know, some closing remarks. Uh, don't be, you know, for everybody listening out there, don't be afraid to have this conversation because, you know, like I said, a year or two ago when we were doing this, just doing what we normally do, talking New York sports because it's what we love, we would have been afraid to have this conversation. We would not have been comfortable having this conversation, but having somebody that is just so passionate about it and feels that this is what their purpose is. And, you know, we've had that conversation off the air before, but I I'll speak for me personally. Like I have, I've had my eyes opened by this and that's what Jess is trying to do. So I encourage everybody do your research, you know, look into all these stories. Don't be afraid to talk about these things. Sports is great. Sports is a great atmosphere for me. And you know, it's, I want to make a career out of talking in front of this microphone, but there's a lot more than just that. There's a lot more that goes into it. Just that. So for me, and you know, if you're a sports fan, Don't be afraid to have these conversations because at one point I was, but now, you know, it's conversations that have to be had. Joe, if you want to make some closing remarks and then, Jess, you can wrap it up.
1: Yeah, I think all three of us here are huge into the sports community, not just from the podcast and not just from playing sports, but we're all looking into the future and being, whether it's on the sidelines, in the broadcast booth, in the offices, like doesn't matter. Like we're all looking towards the future of sports and this conversation you you can't look to towards the uh the future of sports without this conversation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like this is this is a a huge eye-opener like nick said for me as well um into what the players need and what good mental health and what good support for These teams is going to be looking like in, in hopefully the near future, but definitely in the future itself. So uh, I, I really enjoyed this podcast and, and listening to what Jess has uh, done research wise and her feelings behind it. I mean, like you, like Nick said, like, if we didn't know that you didn't have a podcast, (laughs) it it's you should probably start one it's yeah it, <laughs> maybe it that'll
2: be my next thing
1: very well put together and uh very impressive so um kudos to you and hope everything with uh with your uh job interviews work out too so oh thank you jess
0: don't be afraid to plug yourself either plug your twitter your instagram plug it yeah absolutely
2: okay um well <laughs> Like first I just want to like I want to end by saying that you know I think the biggest thing that if anyone is going to take you know something away from this it is about being uncomfortable with being in conversations that challenge the norm and whether that be a conversation like this or a conversation that involves politics or a conversation that involves you know social justice I think that it's important to realize that the normal is not the answer that there's different perspectives that are always going to influence what we see on a daily basis. And it starts by having conversations like this one um, to really open some people's eyes, to realize that there are other ways of looking at a situation without it being as simple as, you know, the, it's the way it is. Things aren't the way it is because it's how it always was. It started with somebody asking a question and, It starts with somebody challenging what, you know, everyone else sees. So if it means starting a podcast or a blog or calling into a radio station and posing a question that is going to open up other doors, it's about doing it in a way of, you know, making sure that it is about progression and it is about moving forward and it's about how do we solve and heal from the past? And it starts with recognizing that, you know, mistakes were made. So it starts with, you know, the NFL looking at themselves and saying, what could we have done better and what did we do wrong? And I hope that, that, you know, it not only does that for them, but it also does that for ourselves of like, how can we make a difference? And it starts with using your voice and whether it be starting a podcast or a blog, I think that you guys do an amazing job here of just educating the people that listen to you about, you know, not only what's going on here in New Jersey and New York with sports, but also about, you know, stuff like this when it comes to little things that you guys throw into your podcast. So I think you guys have progressed so much when it came to the podcast that I'd love to see, you know, you guys progress even more as well as other people, you know, start to share their voice and maybe come on podcasts like your own to, you know, continue these types of conversations. So, um, I mean, my Instagram is jholster 6 um that's really she, the one thing. He does that awesome I photography, the by the
0: way. We forgot to mention Yeah, that. you do awesome photography. Uh,
2: um, so that's that's actually something like I just got accepted as a intern for a minor league team as a sports photographer, and I'm looking on working in possibly ticket sales and membership uh development for possibly a triple-A team. So I really am looking on getting into the league, and I do plan on making this, you know, something that every league is taking into consideration and holding themselves accountable for. And the reason that I'm looking to move into baseball is because I feel like they are somebody who does it already and they do it very well. And to be able to learn from what they do, I think is really important to be able to um, educate people like the NFL and their commissioners and owners on how they can improve on it and do better with it. So I hope that, you know, this is just the start. I hope this is, you know, day, you know, 52 of, you know, since the day that me and Nick first started having this conversation. So I hope that, you know, this is the very beginning and I'm really excited to see where not only this podcast goes, but this idea and what the world of sports develops in the future. And maybe, you know, a year from now, I come back on and see what the world is like and go from, you know, go from there and see how the world has maybe really progressed. And that would be a a really cool thing to do is maybe just like check in and see what it's like. And, you know, a year or six months or something down the road just to see, you know, how have we continued to challenge sports and the industry to improve and see how other people did it as well.
0: Well, you have to make a promise too when football season starts. You have to come on and talk about the Steelers. That's the... oh, well,
2: 100 percent. I mean, who <laughs> right. I mean, you guys both get my text messages all yeah. season long about yeah. every game and every time. And I mean, I've been in fantasy leagues with you guys. I know, you know, that, you know, the NFL is, you know, something I'm very passionate about. And I would mm-hmm. love I mean, Nick knows my my original goal when I decided that sports was going to be my thing is I wanted to be the first female GM in the NFL.
1: But I think I realized
2: that my purpose is just a little bit bigger than that. And it's about changing sports as an industry all over. And I think it starts with a program like this and people like you who are willing to listen and willing to have the conversation. So keep doing what you guys are doing. And I hope that this really sparks a lot of more conversations um, that are happening all over the place, not just, you know, on, on, on here so thank you so much
0: you're welcome of course you're welcome anytime you know that uh, <laughs> of course i'll plug our social medias as, as well twitter instagram facebook at tssb pod uh the phone number 862-260-4315 your sports takes and all that stuff but also if you want to have a conversation about this we'll definitely put you on next week and see what happens jess we thank you again for coming on we totally went over the time that we thought this was going to take but you know what <laughs> that's just that just speaks volumes as to you know exactly what we're feeling about this uh if you made it to the end, I applaud you because this is not normal <laughs> Tri State Sports Beat content. We will be back next week with all the stories in New York Sports. So I thank Jess again, and we will see you next week. This has been a special edition of the Tri State Sports Beat, brought to you by Southside Productions.